welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, hello. My name is Tony, and I am the pastor of Spiritual Formation and our Bolton Site pastor here at The Well. I'm so happy to be here this morning sharing with you. This is the last week in a series that we've been doing over the course of this month that we've been calling The Secret of Greatness. We've been looking at different people's stories who've done incredible things in the world because of their faith in Jesus. And I'm so excited to share one person's story with you today. This is a person who actually served as like an undercover operative that worked against the, the, the Nazi German army during World War II. Uh, this is a person who actually worked to save the lives of over 800 people over that time, including one instance alone where <clears throat> this person was involved in organizing a mission that saved 100 babies out of an or- orphanage that were all slotted to be taken away and killed. Um, this is a person who was part of like a highly organized underground operation that was working against the Nazi regime in the late 30s and 40s. You want to see who this person is? Check this out. Ready? There you go. <laughs> Her name was Corey Temboom. I bet you you weren't expecting a picture like that when I described to you what some of the things are that she did. Well, this past spring, me and my family, we kind of took it, uh, the opportunity to listen to one of the books on, on audio that she wrote. It was called The Hiding Place. And in this book, she kind of described her whole life, like her life leading up to World War II and... and um, all the time before the war, uh, many of her experiences that took place during the war, and then even some of the things that happened through her life after the war. And this picture probably gives you a sense of one of the things that went through my mind many times as we were listening to her story together over the spring. It was like, what? (laughs) Like she, this this little old lady, she did all of that. What? How is that even possible? You know, the truth is, Um, For the first 50 years of Corrie ten Boom's life, the first 50 years, there was actually very little about her life, probably maybe even nothing about her life that would ever put her on the list of people that we would say, these are stories of greatness. She actually lived for the first 50 years kind of a pretty ordinary, even a pretty boring life. Um, She was actually born in Holland near the city of Amsterdam in this tiny little town named uh, Harlem. She grew up and she lived in the, in the very same home for her entire life until she was over 50 years old. She lived with her whole family her entire life. She was the youngest of four children. She had three older siblings, uh, Willem, Nolly, and Betsy. And then there was her. Um, a couple of her siblings, as they got o- older, they, you know, they grew up, they married, they moved out. But her and her one sister, Betsy, they never married. And so they lived in the same home their whole lives with their family. Um, Not only that, but she worked in the same family business. And guess where the family business was? It was was a bottom storefront that their home was on top of. So she never even had to leave home to go to work. And guess what they did? A very exciting job, this family business. It was three generations of clockmakers. <laughs> they, they were clockmakers. They, they, they built and repaired clocks and watches. And so they had this storefront that was lined with clocks and watches, all over, you know, hundreds of them in their store. Tick, tock, tick, tock. Like this was her life. <laughs> um, you know, but 
um, Corey loved her, her family. She loved her job. She actually worked hard at it. One of the cool things about Corey Ten Boom is she actually became the very first registered female clockmaker in all of Holland, which I think is pretty cool. And more than that, Corey and her family, actually, they really loved Jesus. Um, Corey's dad, at every meal, they would sit down together and eat as a family. And at the end of each meal, he would open up the Bible and he would read from it. And they would pray together for their family and for their town and for their country and for the world. They helped their community in all sorts of ways. They actually often had foster kids that they brought into their home and they cared for. Corey and her sisters would often lead, as they got older, they led Bible studies for some of the youth in their, in their community. They helped other kids and other people with special needs in their community. They, they loved Jesus. And they lived out their faith in all kinds of really just practical, simple ways. But I got to be honest, especially when we're talking about a series like this, like stories of greatness, like, <clears throat> like this was kind of the stuff that was in the book that Corey wrote about called The Hiding Place. This was sort of the stuff that she was writing about in the first couple chapters. And to be honest, after like two or three chapters in, I was listening to the, this book with my kids and you know what they said? They're like, oh, dad, we don't want to read anymore. <laughs> like, it's just so boring. Where's the excitement? Nothing, nothing like intriguing is happening in this story. It's just kind of ordinary. And that was her life until she was almost 50 years old. But then everything changed for Corey Ten Boom. One night in 1939, when the bombs started dropping and World War II had come to Holland. Now, maybe you don't know much about World War II, and that's okay if you don't. World War II was one of the, was, was the biggest and deadliest war that our world has ever known. Um, it, it started because there was a group in Germany called the Nazis, and, and they were trying to gain power all across the Europe by taking over countries all over the Europe. And they were actually spreading some pretty nasty and hateful ideas as well that were part of this, especially about certain groups of people. And the Jewish people in particular, they thought that Jewish people were actually less than people. And they wanted, their, one of their goals was to actually do their best to eradicate all Jewish people from the world. Isn't that terrible? Well, Holland did try to put up a fight, but you know what? It lasted like five days. It lasted less than a week. And within a week, <clears throat> there were German Nazi soldiers marching up the streets of Harlem, the very town that Corey lived in. Um, a 6 p.m. curfew was put in place. No one was allowed to leave their homes after that time. Everyone was given an ID card, and they had to keep this ID card on them at all times. They were given these ration cards. You know, it was no longer just go to the grocery store and buy food. You could only do it with ration cards that were dispensed to you um, um, by, the, by the Nazis. Everyone who had a radio, right? Not many people, like TVs weren't a thing back then, but people had radios, and they were no longer allowed to have radios. They had to actually hand their radio radios in to the Nazis. Corey's family had two. They handed one in, but they snuck and they, they managed to actually keep a second radio in their own home, but they did it secretly. But by this point, everything now was being carefully controlled by the Nazi regime. And Jewish people in particular, they were now beginning to be targeted. And so they were given ID cards that were stamped with a bold letter J on it so that everyone knew who they were. Signs started appearing in stores that would say things like, Jews will not be served. No Jews allowed. And then 
Corey and her family realized that some of their Jewish friends and acquaintances just began to disappear. Um, some of them knew their lives were being threatened, so they went into hiding. Others were just taken. One night they woke up, or one morning they would wake up and they would realize a certain friend or an acquaintance was just not there anymore, and they weren't seen again. And so after more and more of this kind of thing w was happening in Corey's town and seeing it happen all over the place, Corey and her family, they talked it over and they decided to do something that would be a huge and dangerous risk for them and their family. They decided, believe it or not, that they were going to build a secret room in their home and they were going to use it to hide Jewish people that were fleeing from the Nazis. And so this is what they did. They got in touch with some other people that were part of the underground Dutch movement who was working against the Nazis and they put them in touch with this famous Dutch architect who was also part of the underground and he came by their house and he kind of looked at their house plan to figure out where the best place in their house would be to build this secret room. And you know where it was? Right at the end of Corey's bedroom. And so over the, over the next several days, all sorts of people started coming into their watch shop at the bottom of their house. But they started coming with like things like, like building materials and supplies hidden in their coats and in their bags and in their jackets, like bricks and pieces of wood and mortar and nails. They were walking into the store hiding these building supplies so they could be used to build this secret room. And by the time it was done, it was so cool, by the time it was done, you would have no idea that Corey's room looked anything different. They finished it perfectly, even to the very edges and corners of the wallpaper. It looked exactly like Corey's room had before. It was just a few feet shorter. It was big enough to hold six people in it. And then Corey and her family began to take in Jewish people who were hiding from the Nazis and needed a place to stay. Now, many of these people were actually elderly people. Some of them were sick. In fact, a lot of people who came through the Ten Booms doors were people that <clears throat> had tried to find other places to stay, but they had a, a lot of them had kind of additional needs, and so they had needs that p other people just couldn't or simply wouldn't take, take them in, but the Ten Booms did. Um, they had nowhere else to go. And so not only that, but then they had these buzzers installed throughout the house and they had a few buttons installed as well so that if a German soldier would come by, they would hit the button and it would send a buzzer to some of the upper levels where the, where the Jewish people would be just hanging out in their house. And that would tell them that they needed to get up into the secret room as soon as they could. And so they actually did drills to make sure they could do this as quickly as possible. Their goal was to do it in 60 seconds to get everyone tucked away in the room and hidden completely. The best they could manage was 70 seconds, but that's still not too bad. If they were eating a meal in the dining room, all of their Jewish friends needed to pick up their plates and their cups and their cutlery and take it with them into the secret room so that it only looked like the table was set for Corey and her family. If it was in the middle of the night and they were sleeping, they actually needed to turn their mattresses over because if the German soldiers came in, they would feel the mattresses to see if they were warm from a sleeping body. Can you imagine that? But this is how Corey and her family lived. They began taking in this ever-changing group of Jewish people who were needing a place to hide, needing a place to stay. They were always ready to take in one more, but they were always living on edge, in a sense, for the next time when that buzzer might ring and it wasn't a drill. 
you know, Corey was involved in all sorts of other ways in the underground movement as well. You know, I shared a couple of things right up front that she did. She was involved in saving uh, like 800 people's lives over the course of that time. But at the same time, Corey and her family knew that like <clears throat> they had people coming and going into the watch shop all the time. They were just a block away from the, the German um, secret police like headquarters. They knew that this wasn't gonna last forever. They knew that sooner or later they were gonna be caught. And one night, that's exactly what happened. They were actually betrayed by one of their own countrymen, one of their own Dutch people. And he, he, he told them about what was going on and one, in the middle of the night, they came and they got raided. And Corey and her entire family were actually taken into custody. Thankfully, there were people staying in the secret room and they didn't even get found out. But Corey and her whole family did. They got brought into custody. And <clears throat> after some time, most of Corey's family was released. But her and her sister Betsy were kept in custody. And they were transferred from sort of the local police station then into uh, a concentration camp in Holland. Now, that might be a term you haven't uh, ever heard before too, a concentration camp. What's that? A concentration camp is a kind of prison that the Nazis set up to put in all the people they wanted to get rid of, all the people that they didn't like. And often, they were absolutely jam-packed with people. That's why we, we call it concentration. They were concentrated. They were packed in there way more people that then should have been in there and the conditions were often brutal and so they were brought to one concentration camp in Holland and then after several weeks there they were actually transferred to one of the most brutal and infamous concentration camps in all of Germany they were brought across the border right into Germany into a concentration camp named Ravensbrück and this is a picture of Ravensbrück when they arrived there, they were given a number. Betsy, Corey's sister, was number 66729. Corey was number 66730. From this point on, they were no longer called by their names, only by a number. <clears throat> As they arrived there and they were being processed into the camp, they were all told that they needed to take off all of their clothes um, stripped down and then put on these new concentration camp uniforms. Now, one of the things that Corey had on her that she had brought with her from the last place was a Bible that someone had actually smuggled in and given to her. And she had been hiding this Bible and reading this Bible and sharing it with others um, in the other place that she was at. But now she had to take off all her clothes and she had to change into these new clothes so she didn't know what to do. Well, there right in front of her, she saw this little bench and it was like this cockroach infested bench. And so before she changed, she took off the Bible that she was hiding under her clothes. She hid it under her clothes. She changed, and then she managed to hide it again under her new clothes. But then she was told to get in line and go into the next station. Well, she realized that in the lineup, they were searching every single woman in line. And so she's like, oh, I, she didn't know what to do. She knew that if she were discovered with that Bible, she could be executed on the spot. And so she prayed to God and she asked that he would protect her. And you know what happened? They searched every single woman in front of her. And when they got to her, they said, hurry up, go on through. And then they searched every single woman behind her. That actually happened two times within minutes through the search stations. Isn't that incredible? God actually enabled her to bring in this Bible into one of the darkest places that there was. 
They eventually got assigned to their barracks, their, their bunk cabin, right? It was barracks number 28, and the conditions there were absolutely brutal. This was a place that was designed to hold about 400 people. There were 1,400 people staying there. It was infested with fleas and lice. She said that the beds were literally crawling with them. <clears throat> there was a stench of filth everywhere because there wasn't enough toilets for that many people. Um, they were given just enough food to survive, but they were constantly feeling weak and hungry, and they were put to work doing hard labor to support the German army. <clears throat> Friends, they were treated like animals. The conditions were so bad. They, they lost their names. They were given these kinds of conditions. They were treated like animals. And do you know what happens when we go through, if this ever happened, like when people are actually treated like animals? They begin to act like animals and treat one another like animals. And Corey said that in their barracks, the beds were so tightly packed with, uh, against one another because there were so many people, they literally had to crawl on top of one another to get to their bunk. <clears throat> and when they did this, people would yell at each other and scream and swear at each other. They would hit and smack each other. She said sometimes there was all-out brawls that would break out in these barracks because they were treated so poorly and they were packed so tightly. <clears throat> but Corey and Betsy, they had this Bible that they were able to sneak in uh, to Ravensbrook, right? And, and the morning they were assigned to their barracks, this is the passage that they read together. I want you to listen to it now. Today I will be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 to 18. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Ravensbrook. But you know what? Her sister, Betsy, actually took those words even one step further. And when she heard them, you know what she said? She said, Corey, that's it. That's what we need to do. We need to give thanks. Because that's what it says. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need to give thanks. And Corey was like, what, what are you talking about? Do you, do you know where we are? What do we have right now in this moment to give thanks for? And Betsy kind of pushed back. She's like, well, for starters, we can give thanks that we're still together, that they haven't taken us apart. And Corey was like, yeah, okay, yeah, we can give thanks for that. She said, we can give thanks that we have this Bible, that we have God's word to remind us of what's good and true, even in this situation. And Corey was like, yeah, that's true. We can give thanks for that. And she said, we can give thanks for all the women that we're surrounded with, that we can actually share the love of Jesus with. And Corey was like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> There's a lot still, even in this moment, to give thanks for. But then Corey was like, but, but Betsy, the fleas, the lice, like how, how could we, po what, what could there possibly be in that that we could give thanks for? That was just too much for Corey. But you know what? Over the coming days and weeks and months, Corey and Betsy put these words 
into practice. They brought them to life and they began caring for and encouraging all of the women that they were surrounded with, that they were suffering alongside. They began sharing about Jesus and reading from the Bible to as many of the women in the barracks as they could. They, they were telling them that God still loved them even in the situation that they were in. And it started kind of slowly and quietly at first because they didn't want to get caught. They knew the consequences, but soon it, it led to actually two full-out worship sessions in their barracks every single day. There were women from France and Poland and Russia and Czech Republic and Holland, and they were singing and hymns and songs in different languages, and they were praying together, and, and Corey and Betsy would read from the Bible together, and they would encourage one another, and it was like a little, somehow, strangely, it was like this little piece of heaven, even in the midst of a very real hell that they were going through. And it was strange, they thought, because none of the guards, they were doing this in their barracks, none of the guards ever came by. Never the guard, none of the guards ever came inside their barracks to find out what was going on, to break it up. So they just kept on doing it. They kept meeting and singing and praying and reading the Bible together. <clears throat> then you know what happened? One day, Corey overheard some of the guards talking. And she heard that one of them needed to go inside the barracks to do something, but they refused to go inside the barracks. Do you know why? Because they were infested with fleas and lice. Can you believe that? It was like, it was the fleas and lice that were inside the barracks that were the very thing that was giving them the freedom to do the things that they were doing. It was giving them the freedom to bring encouragement and life and hope to all of these women that were suffering. So now, somehow, even the fleas and the lice were something for Corey and Betsy to give thanks for. This is how Corey described the experience. This is her own words from the book, The Hiding Place. She said, it grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Will you carry this too, Lord Jesus? But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And that was the reason the two of us were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth <clears throat> and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I would look about us as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish. It was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute. Poor, hated, hungry. We are more than conquerors. Not we shall be. We are. Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, 
The observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God, and it grew daily better, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. And through all of this, through all of what Corey and Betsy were doing, the barracks that they were in, Barracks 28, it was transformed. No longer did you hear swearing and cursing and slapping and hitting and fighting when people were crawling over one another to get to, get to their beds. Now you heard things like, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me, oh, no harm done, this kind of thing. People began to treat one another with a new kind of care and respect and dignity. It was no longer just survival mode for them. Um, get this, other people who, who were staying in other barracks, they began to call Barracks 28 that crazy place where people hope. They called it that crazy place where people hope. 96,000 women died in Ravensbrook, including eventually Betsy, Corey's sister. She didn't make it through. But Corey said, many died with Jesus on their lips because the Lord had brought us to Ravensbrook. And we were able to touch people's hearts while we were there. Isn't that incredible? Well, Corey was eventually released from Ravensbrook, and even that was a miracle. It actually ended up, she found out later that that was a clerical error. She wasn't supposed to be released. And a week later, all of the women her age were sent to the gas chambers to be killed. She made it back to Holland. After she recovered and healed up and after the war ended, she went on to do some more incredible things. Um, first, she actually had this massive mansion estate donated to her. And so she transformed it to become a home of healing and restoration for hundreds of people that had survived through the concentration camps. Second, she actually eventually moved to Germany and she got a hold of one of the, the properties that was used as a concentration camp in a town called Darmstadt. And she transformed that, renovated it completely, and now this place was used as a, as a housing center for not just her own people, but for Germans who had lost their homes through Allied bombing. And then third, she began to write and speak. This was her first book. It was called A Prisoner and Yet. And she just wrote this book to share her story. And once it was published, she started getting invitations to speak all across Holland and all across Europe and all across the world. Like, how on earth? I got to keep coming back to this question that I had at first. Like, how on earth could this woman do all of that? She was an old lady by now. This all took place after she was 50 years old. She was this, how could she go from growing up and living in the same home, in the same little town, working the same family business, Business, living the same ordinary life to becoming this like this this covert operative who was working against the German Nazi regime and to becoming this incredible spiritual leader who brought encouragement and hope to all kinds of suffering people and, and to becoming this visionary that brought healing and restoration to so many who were so broken by the war like what was her secret well, my guess would be that if we were to ask Corey Ten Boom that question, she would say, oh, the answer's not a what, the answer's a who. Jesus, right? 
He's the one that sustained me and, and guided me and provided for me and protected me when there was no one else, when I had nowhere else to go, when there was nothing else before me. I, through all of these things, I know that Jesus knows and loves me and is with me and has never left me or forsaken me. I think that's what she would answer. I have no doubt. But I, I, then I would ask, well, how did you come to know Jesus like that? I want to know Jesus like that. I want to have a faith like that. And as I look at her life, there's a couple things that come to mind that I just observe from the pages of The Hiding Place and some other things that I've learned about Corey Ten Boom. I think there were at least a couple things that were true about Corey for her whole life that actually enabled her to do some of these incredible things. These were things that were true of her before the war and during the war and after the war. And here's the first one. She was simply a person who loved the people right in front of her. You know, I think, uh, especially today, and this is actually a picture of Cory Temboom uh, in her house. This is the, the wall is broken into. That's the hiding place itself. Um, but I think today, in our culture, this like, you know, our social media saturated culture, we have this idea, I think, that in order to do something great, we need all kinds of followers. It's all about the followers, right? How many followers do you have? How many likes do you have? All this kind of, in order to do something great, we think it's got to be big, it's got to be out there, it's got to be not just for people in my own family instead of friends or whatever. No, it's got to be big and everyone's got to know about it, whatever. Like all these people that I don't know that aren't in front of me. No, Corey just lived a life that loved loved the people in front of her. She loved Jesus by loving the people who were right in front of her. And she did that in a million and one ways before the war. She cared for people in her community. She led Bible studies. She helped people with special needs. And when the war came, it meant her circumstances were now different. But she still lived this out. This was the kind of faith she lived out. And things look different now because she was in a different situation now. And so now the people in front of her were Jewish people knocking on her door needing a place to stay. Now, people in front of her were a group of women who she was suffering alongside in some terrible living situations at, Raven, at Ravensbrook. But she still lived the same. She just loved Jesus by loving the people in front of her. And he, he, even after the war, it's not like she thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to like cut a book deal and get famous off of it, right? No. She just continued to follow Jesus' vision for her life to tell the story about what it looked like to love the people in front of her. See, like Corey never made it her goal to get famous and to get big and to have this giant circle of influence. That wasn't her goal. It is the goal of much of how our culture operates now. You know, man, Jesus is the one who controls how big or small our circle of influence is. He just asks us to love the people who are in it. And that's what Corey did. And I think that's, that means, that, that leads to a question I think we can ask ourselves. If that's what Corey did, then we can ask, like, who's in front of you? Who are the people who are in your circle of influence? Your family members, your, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your, your classmates, those at school, the people that you work with, your colleagues, your next door neighbor, the people on your street, the people in your neighborhood. These are all the people. Maybe you don't see them every day, but they are right in front of you. And what might it look like to just in simple, practical ways 
You know, maybe that looks like writing a, a, just a, a simple letter of encouragement. Or maybe it looks like, like drawing a picture and giving it to someone just as a gift to let them know you were thinking about it. Maybe even put a verse of scripture on that. That's what Corey and Betsy did. They opened up their Bible and they read scripture and it brought hope and life to so many people. Man, God's word can do that. Maybe it means just telling someone how thankful you are for them and what makes you thankful for them. That's what that passage said, right? That we can be thankful in all circumstances. Maybe it means just listening to someone who's hurting. Like, do we even see? Sometimes we're so focused on the people way out there to be great. We miss the people who are right in front of us. I think that's what Corey did. She loved the people in front of her. That wasn't the only thing, though. She was also someone who never walked alone. She never walked alone before the war and during the war and after the war. She, was all, she always had people in her life who supported her and encouraged her and showed her what it looked like to know and love and follow Jesus. She had her dad who, who taught her God's word every day and who taught her what it looked like to pray and to love God and to love the people around him. She had her sister, Betsy. And if you read the book, I mean, the book, The Hiding Place, is actually at least, if not more, about Betsy than it is about Corey, about how Betsy had this incredible faith that sustained and encouraged Corey throughout some of their darkest days. They were surrounded by this whole community of underground workers. Many of them were followers of Jesus, and this is why they were actually working against the Nazi regime. It was because of their faith in Jesus. She was never alone. She had people who walked with with her and carried her and supported her and showed her what it looked like to know and trust and follow Jesus. And that's how she became that person for so many others along the way. And so that, that's a question for us to, to ask, isn't it? That's worth asking for us. Like, if that's what, if she never walked alone, then, then who's beside you? Who's walking beside you? We all need one or two or three or more people walking alongside us, encouraging us, supporting us, showing us what it looks like to know Jesus and to trust Jesus and to follow him through the great times and through the most difficult times. Who are those people in your life? You know what? If no one comes to mind, maybe that's someone you need to start praying for. Maybe you need to start praying that God will send someone into your life who knows him so deeply and who experiences such incredible intimacy and love and power with him that that will begin to rub off on your life. You know, these were the things that Corey Ten Boom did. I think these are the things that actually made her great. They were things that even though her life changed so much from before she was 50 and after 50, these things were true of her life the whole time. She just loved the people. She loved Jesus by loving the people right in front of her. And she never walked alone. She walked beside people who were doing the same thing. Friends, I just so believe that if we can learn to do these things more, it's not going to be just our own lives that are going to become more and more great. It's actually the greatness of Jesus that will become more and more a reality in this world. It will be seen. It will be experienced and felt. Can I pray for you and for me? Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who has come into the world so that you can bring hope, light, and life even into the most darkest and difficult situations and experiences in life. I thank you that you did that through Corey.
I thank you that you gave her a faith and a relationship with you that actually led her through those very things. And that you gave her your Holy Spirit to empower her to actually bring healing and hope and restoration to so many. <clears throat> Man, we want to be people like that. And so Jesus, we pray that you would show us, that you would show us your incredible love and show your incredible love through us as well. We pray in your name. Amen.